Nehemiah 9, 16 through 21. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. The word of the Lord. A reading from Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all, the, all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing 
And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful that we can read and study it and learn together. Thankful, Lord, that your word is alive. And that you speak and work um, through it today. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, um, teach us, um, grow us, uh, we pray. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Very aware uh, this morning, this is one of my uh, favorite passages in all of Scripture. And as a preacher, I feel a little bit like, how do I just not mess anything up and just let the Scripture speak to itself? I'm sure many of you feel um, that way as well. Uh, so uh, my wife Molly um, uh, led a church plant training intensive um, this week with an a organization called Always Forward that Molly works for. We actually hosted it here at Church of the Cross, and there were um, church planters and those interested in church planting um, from various parts of the country that gathered together for four days to learn about church planting and get trained in that. Um, uh, and during that time, they would share different stories. It was a small enough group that they could interact and have some discussion. Uh, and Molly passed on one story that was shared um, by one of the church planners named Jeff, who's from uh, Canada. Apparently, Jeff goes on lots of very long hikes. I think this one, uh, perhaps, I'm going to tell you about was in the Canadian Rockies. He'll go for a long time. He'll be in very remote areas. And he was sharing how usually, because he's in very remote areas, he's um, very aware of his surroundings um, as he hikes. He's in areas that have wild animals. And he's you know, um, aware that he needs to pay attention and be on the lookout. But he said one time he was hiking along and he was not paying attention to his surroundings. He had his um, eyes actually down on the ground. He was deep in thought about something. And then suddenly he looked up and there was a bear, a grizzly bear looking at him. He said on two legs, <laughs> standing, looking right at him. And he explained uh, fairly to the group, and Molly's passing to me, just the incredible feeling of vulnerability, of the helplessness he felt at that moment. Again, normally he was prepared, but he could not, you know, grab bear spray at that point. He couldn't get away. And anyway, he just stared at the bear. I guess he said he kind of turned to his side a little bit as if that would help him. Like that made him feel a little less vulnerable, maybe that his, you know, stomach wasn't open uh, to the bear. Um, and then just waited. The bear apparently went down on all fours, kind of made this noise. Jeff assumed, this is when I die. And then the bear turned around and walked up the path, the path that he would soon be walking up. And so he ended up having to follow the bear eventually up the path. That story when Molly shared to me, and why she shared with me, is just such a picture of vulnerability, such a picture of helplessness, right? I am facing a bear and there's nothing I can do about it, right? Except just wait for whatever is about to happen. I'm sure we've all had probably moments like that, maybe not that dramatic, maybe not face-to-face with a bear, but moments where we suddenly were aware of, man, I am really vulnerable, right? Maybe it was, again, a moment of danger. Maybe it was a, a moment of trial or a season of trial where you realize, I'm much more vulnerable than I, I want to admit. I'm much more fragile than I want to admit. This world is more dangerous than I want to admit. And moments like that, right, can make us realize, like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm so vulnerable, right? Like, how do I comprehend that? How do I get my mind around that? 
I think often our responses are just sort to deny it, right? Well, maybe I'm not really that vulnerable. Or maybe if I do these things, right, that'll lessen my vulnerability and just sort of live in that. But again, when we live that way, right, when we do have those moments of trial, of difficulty, of suffering, they come as a shock. We find ourselves saying, why? Why is this happening when we really shouldn't be surprised? That's life. Life, we're very vulnerable and hard things and difficult things come our way. But it feels like the only alternative to sort of denying our vulnerability or trying to pretend that we're not as vulnerable as we are is to just live in constant fear and dread. I just sort of have a refrain. Well, everything's awful. Right? Life is just terrible. And I just have to accept it. Of course, we don't want to live that way either. I want to suggest in our Romans passage today, we see another way. Right? That we actually see that there is an invulnerability that we have in Christ. Now, as I say that, let me just say invulnerability in Christ is not a term that's used a lot, right? As a matter of fact, I felt funny even as I was reading the sermon, like, should I even be saying that we are invulnerable in Christ, right? It feels a little too superhero-like or something, right? There's something about it that doesn't feel right. In one sense, of course, when we speak of invulnerability in Christ, we are in no way saying invulnerable to suffering, invulnerable to difficulties, to, to trials, to doubt, all those things, right, that we can experience in Christ. We also don't want in any way deny that we are called to live lives of vulnerability. As I spoke about last week, right, it's actually in our weakness, and it's recognizing our weakness and recognizing our vulnerabilities that we powerfully meet the Lord. But we are told in our weakness, He is strong, right? As we recognize our need, we lean into the Lord and we experience His empowerment and help. And so again, we want to acknowledge we are called to, again, vulnerable lives in the Lord. And yet there are key ways in which in Christ we are invulnerable, right? And not in a, you know, rah, rah, hooray way, but just recognizing what Christ has done for us. It's just so powerfully spoken of in this passage, the end of Romans 8. We've been in Romans uh, for a number of weeks. We'll be in Romans a few more weeks after this. But in many ways, the end of Romans 8 is kind of a, 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 a climax to Romans as it then continues on with further arguments and, and further um, teaching. And so, how are we invulnerable? One, we're invulnerable to condemnation. Now, if you've been with us in this series, perhaps you're saying, okay, I get it, right? I've, I've heard it over and over again. You know, there's no condemnation in Christ. We are justified. And yet, the fact that Romans keeps repeating that makes me think it's probably worth continuing to repeat. Because again, I think again and again, the message we can get from our own struggles, from the world, is you are condemned, right? It, it, I talked about this weeks ago. You're not enough. And to know that in Christ, we are set free from condemnation. We are invulnerable to that guilty um, charge against us. It's a repeated um, theme. Um, and again, it's not surprising that Paul would bring it up again here. When you look at the very first verse, what shall we say to these things? There's some question, what does he mean by these things? What are these things? Some would suggest maybe it's just a few verses right before this where he talks about all sort of the different aspects of God's salvation and the, the, what we've received in, in Christ. Maybe he's speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit, which he speaks so powerfully to in Romans 8. But many would suggest these things is actually going all the way back to Romans 5. That he's actually kind of coming to an end with this argument that he's been building for chapters. And he's saying, well, what do we say to all this? What do we say to the fact that God has justified us in Christ? Right? That Christ has taken our sin upon himself. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you see all the ways that I've laid out for you that God is for you? And this is legal language that he's using here. He's using legal imagery, right? We've seen this before. We see it again. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? That's in many ways sort of a picture of a trial where God is on our side representing us 
So who can bring charges against us? As he says right in, the, in just a few more verses, who shall bring any charge against us? God's elect. It's God who justifies. Again, that's legal language, to be justified, to be made right with God. Who is to condemn? And so you have this legal sort of imagery, and then even the imagery of Christ interceding for us. In the passage before this, it talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us. Intercession, actually, in many ways, is a legal term. Right, it's what a lawyer does on, perhaps, perhaps on, on behalf of a client, right? He intercedes or she intercedes for that client. It's interesting, actually, our um, sermon, our, our passage this year in Pentecost, uh, right before we began the Roman series, right, focused on Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, this word that means one who comes alongside. And I talked about in that sermon how paraclete at that time had a, a legal um, uh, connotation to it. Right, that's sometimes um, translated advocate or counselor, like a legal counselor, one who advocates for us. And so again, Jesus advocates for us, he intercedes for us, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Now sometimes I, I talk with folks and they're kind of, you know, they're not crazy about the legal imagery, right? They feel like it's so kind of cold, it feels very transactional, you know, it's like Jesus is a lawyer, right? I mean, like, ah, you know, I, I understand, no offense to lawyers, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, but sometimes people feel like it, it, it misses out on the love of Christ. But the fact of the matter is, right, the scriptures teach us very clearly, right, we are guilty because of our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is a hard truth that we have to press into. Right? We're guilty. Our sin against the Lord right, um, uh, is unjust. Right? We are unjust in what we have done. And so to hear the truth that we have been found innocent in Christ, that that guilt and that burden is lifted off from us, right, is a beautiful personal reality. Yes, the legal imagery helps us to understand the relational reality of what we've received in Christ. That again, we hear, right, from the Lord, you know, you are free. You are not condemned. You are justified in me. And the amazing relational truth is, right, that this judge, right, who was, you know, fully just and fully good is also the one who takes our sin upon himself. That judge is the one who actually proclaims us innocent because he takes our guilt on himself. And so that doesn't fit into any legal scenario, right, that we've seen. So that's the reality of the good news. That's the reality of the gospel. And so we are, again, invulnerable to condemnation. We are set free from that burden. But the second thing, right, that, that we see here is we are invulnerable to defeat. We have that um, great verse, uh, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And let's be very clear, right, the, take the whole verse together. Sometimes I hear we're more than conquerors, right, which is a beautiful truth, right? But sometimes I hear kind of used again a little bit sort of rah-rah, like we're more than conquerors. Like convince yourself, you know, like, like, you know, live in that reality and get worked up. You know, I'm more than a conqueror. Well, you are in Christ, right? And you're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, as we come to Christ in our weakness, in our need, and experience his saving power, then, and only then, right, in him are we more than conquerors. He has brought the victory through his death and resurrection. He's defeated sin and death, and we have that. We're more than conquerors, right? We're not only free from sin and death, right? We have abundant life in him. We have relationship with him. So it's in Christ that we are more than conquerors. It's in Christ that we have a victory. And, right, then that... Victory, right, means, again, we are invulnerable to defeat. 
right? There, there won't be coming a, a coming defeat later, right? We have that victory for all eternity. But then what is the battle, right? If we speak about, right, this being more than conquerors, what, are, what is the conquering? Well, clearly, again, I spoke about it, right? Jesus has overcome sin and death. We have the freedom in that. But also, right, Paul is speaking to sort of the battle we face in this life, right? The, the implications of the fact that we've been set free from sin and death means that we can stand firm in Christ and the love of Christ in the midst of the battles we face in this life. And so he specifically focuses on sort of those forces from outside of us that come to us, right? Now, we know there's often an internal battle that we face, right, with our own sinfulness and our own struggles and doubts and temptations. And he's spoken to that, right? He's talked about the the spirit at work within us coming against sort of our our sinful nature and, and overcoming that. But here he's speaking more to, again, those outside forces that come against us, right? There can be an internal struggle, an internal battle that we can know. But there's also the reality of the battle, again, of living in a fallen world and the spiritual battle. So if you go back up, right, to to verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, how shall we be defeated? If in Christ and in the love of Christ we have a victory, we are more than conquerors, then who can separate us from this victory? Who can come against the, the, you know, the freedom we know in the Lord? And he, look what he lists. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Right? Those things, again, that we experience as part of living in a fallen world. The difficulties, right, that come, right? You know, sometimes, again, we face difficulties from our own sin and our own mistakes. Oftentimes, though, we face difficulties from forces beyond ourselves. And just know, right, that when Paul speaks of these things, right, this isn't clinical for him. This isn't just ideas. This is what he's experienced, right? He's experienced these various things. I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians, which we um, studied a few years ago. We did a series on 2 Corinthians. And just here, again, um, this is uh, near the end of 2 Corinthians. Paul speaks about his own experience and some of the things he's been experienced as an apostle. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from many other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, you read that and you're like, wow, man, I mean, that guy experienced a lot. And so he's saying, right, from experience, can these things separate you from the love of Christ? I've experienced these things, right? I mean, many people think, right? I mean, he's literally, right? Those are very connected, right? There's such similarity between um, those two passages. He's saying, I, I know these things. And I'm telling you from experience, they do not separate you from the love of Christ. That's interesting. And then we have uh, verse 36, which if I can just be honest, I'm always... When I read this passage, I sometimes am a little annoyed by verse 36. You shouldn't be annoyed by the Bible, right? But I, I feel like, man, you've got this great, you know, argument going, this great flow, um, you know, and if it just went from 35 to 37, right, then you have the powerful no in 37. But, you know, Paul just loves the Bible. He loves Scripture, right? He can't help himself. He's like, i got one more Scripture I need to throw in there because it's not just about my experience. It's not just what we're experiencing, you know, as followers of Christ in this season where there's persecution, right? No, this is what the people of God have experienced. Again and again, this is actually just part of living in faith. And so this is a quote from Psalm 44. 
for your sake were killed all day long. We regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Psalm 44, right, is a psalm of crying out to God. And that's one verse of many verses where the psalmist is listing all the ways, basically, he and the people of God have suffered because they follow the Lord, because they're committed to him. He's saying, look, we've sought to follow you, and this is what we experience, right? We experience hardship, we experience persecution. We feel like we're sheep to be slaughtered. And yet that psalm ends with, help us, Lord. It actually says, awake, Lord, help us. And Paul here is being really clear, right? The Lord has helped. The Lord has responded to that call. Yes, right? The the reality of suffering, yes, the reality of tribulation, the, the forces of this world that come against us are real. And we experience them, but we are more than conquerors. To be clear here, right, it's not just, oh, I've experienced this. It's this is what the people of God have experienced. And we know that we're more than conquerors because what Christ has done. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right, that comes against any right, trouble, any um, uh, persecution, any trial that we face, any tribulation. Come, he comes against us. Right, when, it, when we talk about not being separated from the love of Christ, I, I think there are a few things in this. One is that in the midst of that suffering, it can feel a little bit like, you know, are these things signs, basically, that God has given up on me? When I'm facing tribulation, when I'm facing suffering, when I'm facing illness, right, and, and when I'm aware of my own vulnerabilities, is that God's way of saying, you're no longer loved, right? You're rejected. I think we all can feel that in the midst of that. As much as we know theologically, I know that's not true. We can feel that. And Paul is making clear, no, right? That is not a sign that the Lord doesn't love you. But also, right, I believe he's saying, you can know the Lord's love in the midst of this. You can know his sustaining, empowering presence. You can know that truth and root yourself in that truth in the midst of these trials. That's what God's people have done. That's what God's people will continue to do because we know the heart of God and the love of God. He continues and gives us another list um, then in verse 38. So again, we've heard, you know, all these different things, these different forces and powers that come against us. In 38, right, there's more actually in 38 and 39. There's more a sense of just anything you can think of, right? It's like Paul saying, look, you know, just try to imagine anything and whatever it is, it cannot separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So death nor life, right? Not now, not when you die, right? You can overcome death. Neither angels nor rulers. I'll say more about that in just a second. Nor things present, nor things to come, right? He's with you now. He will always be with you. You don't need to be afraid that something in the future will come that will separate you from the love of Christ, right? There is nothing to come that can do that, right? Nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation. So again, there's this broadness, right? You think of it. It can't do it. But I think it's significant as he's speaking of, again, these many things that he speaks about rulers and powers. And most agree, right, that he's speaking there of spiritual forces, of demonic forces, of satanic forces against us. I think it's significant that he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right? I mean, there's, you know, um, things, right, of uh, experiences, circumstances that may seek to separate us from the love of Christ or that could happen to us and, and make us think we're separated from the love of Christ. But he's also speaking to personal realities. So, again, a, a spiritual battle. He uses similar language in Ephesians 6 where he says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but with, with powers, with principalities. That is what he's speaking of here. And again, as we consider this battle and the ways in which, again, our circumstances can come against our trust and our belief in the love of Christ, the fact of the matter is, so can spiritual forces coming against us, so can the fiery darts of the enemy, again, language used in Ephesians 6, 
right? Like we can be tempted to believe that we are no longer loved by Christ, that we have been separated. This is what the enemy wants, right? We have an enemy. And what he wants most of all is for us to doubt the love of Christ, for us to believe we have been separated. We have been forsaken. Right? That's the message, right? That don't hope in him, give up hope. And Paul, again, and the Holy Spirit through Paul is making clear that is not true. And that is a lie. And be aware that the forces will want to tell you, right, that maybe no one else is excluded from the love of Christ, but you are. And so don't believe it, right? Those forces are not as great as the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, we're invulnerable, right, to condemnation, invulnerable to defeat, and we're finally invulnerable to separation, which again, I've already been talking about. But isn't it interesting, right, the picture of victory is a picture of connectedness with God, right? That's what it means to know victory. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror, is to be connected and not separated from the Lord. And he is assuring us, right, we are not separated, right? We are invulnerable to separation from our God. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. I uh, recently read a book called Finding the Words. It's by um, uh, author named Colin Campbell. Um, it's a book actually about grief. Um, and um, Campbell um, uh, and his wife lost their two teenage children when um, their car was hit by a drunk driver. Um, and uh, the book was just written uh, just a couple years after this accident. So you can tell reading the book that the grief is still so fresh. But he calls the book Finding the Words um, because so often in their grief, people would say to him and his wife, there are no words. And he actually is saying, no, there are words, right? There are actually words um, that can help in grief, you know, not to escape the grief, but to really enter into it and to just, you know, go through the grief. So he doesn't lighten how hard grief is. Um, but again, he's saying there's things we can do to experience that grief in a way that actually ultimately may bring healing and help us work through that grief. Um, and one thing that's interesting in the book he talks a lot about um, is um, his wife is Jewish and some of the different rituals that come out of Judaism that helped him in his grief. But it's interesting he talks about that because he's actually an atheist and he's very clear that he's an atheist. And yet there are these different rituals and practices, spiritual practices that helped him. And so in one passage he talks about prayer. He says, as an atheist who spent a lot of time at the temple with my Jewish wife and kids, I sometimes struggled with the constant references to God. In the mourner's Kaddish alone, God is referenced 13 times. So that's a prayer that they often said together and would say with other people in the midst of their grief. He says, but I discovered a helpful trick. I replaced every reference to God and the Holy One, and he, or every reference to God and He and Holy One with the word love. It worked incredibly well. Even some of the stranger references to God in the Bible turned out to have new, beautiful meanings. Phrases such as, may he smite our enemies, translate into the charming idea, may love smite our enemies. It's a nice visual. The most irritating people in my life suddenly becoming less so. So he, that, he says, I figured out a trick, right, that I will replace love for God. It worked incredibly well. I was so moved when I read that. Right? Here's this atheist who understood the truth of the gospel that I think it takes a lot of Christians a long time to understand. That God really is love, right? I mean, it's not just a nice little thing. It's in the scriptures, right? God is love, right? Not that we take whatever we believe about love and say that's who God is, but rather as we look to God, as we come to know God, we know love. We know genuine truth, right? 100% love. So again, when we learn this, yes, I can replace love with God, and it's powerful because it's true. 
Right? And we do pray for our enemies. We pray that the Lord would love them. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message Jesus preached. And so we see, right, in this passage, right, the love is powerful. Right? Love reaches out and does not let go of us. Love says nothing will separate you from me. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray through your spirit, Lord, that we would in new ways know the reality of this love. I pray, Lord, that we would know it in our heads as a truth that we embrace and teach others. We also know it in our heart and our souls, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for um, the, the power of your love. And again, we just pray, come Holy Spirit and continue to teach us on that love. Continue, Lord, just so fill us with your love that it would overflow into the lives of those all around us. pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand. And we'll together affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Thank you be the Father. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You can be seated for the prayers of the people. pray for the church and for the world, saying, hear our prayer. For the well-being and unity of the people of God across borders of country, language, and denomination. May we love one another that all would come to know Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. For Foley, our archbishop, and Stuart, our bishop, and for the clergy, staff, and vestries of our diocese of the upper Midwest. May you grant them wisdom, love, patience, and humility as they seek to follow your will and to faithfully represent the gospel to their communities. Lord, in your mercy. For missionaries Alex and Megan Kurth, as they leave their work with training, training leaders international 
for a new ministry to provide theological education with Crossland's training in England. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Spirit, for healing for those wounds, hurts, bitterness, and sorrow that have been inflicted upon us by those we have loved and trusted, bless us and sanctify us all. Lord, in your mercy. For our brothers and sisters who, because of their faith in Jesus and desire to serve him, are persecuted, relieve their suffering and fill them with renewed hope and faith. Lord, in your mercy. We ask a blessing on these last few weeks of summer before the start of the school year. We pray that you would ready the minds and hearts of our youth for a return to classroom learning and that you would calm the anxiety of students that return with trepidation for whatever reason. May each of them know that they have been called and named by you. Bless our teachers and others who work in education with patience and grace. And may we, as seasons change, recall that you are the changeless one who supports and orders all seasons of our lives. Lord, in your mercy. Father Almighty, national and international situations are vexing and divisive. We pray for a cessation of hostilities in Eastern Europe. And we pray, especially for those far from conflict, who normally get food from Russia and Ukraine, that you would provide for them in their hours of need. In our country, we ask that you would grant wisdom to our leaders, Joe and Kamala, congressional and state leaders, and bless the upcoming presidential primaries and elections. Help the people of God to know how to use our votes and political influence, knowing that our foremost allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Lord, in your mercy. For those facing sickness and health adversity, we ask for healing and strength, especially for baby Vlad, Cindy, Don, John, Ryan, Michelle, and Roy. I invite you to pray now for those in your life you know that need healing. Lord, in your mercy. For all those who have departed this life in the certain hope of the resurrection, we give you thanks for the faith which they have handed down and look forward to our reunion on that joyous day when we enter your kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, peace I give to you, my own peace I leave with you. Regard not our sins, but the faith of your church, and give to us the peace and unity of that heavenly city, where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign, now and forever. Amen. It is in trusting the love of God that we make our confession of sin together with our friends. Pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways for the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, 
For in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him. Have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand. The peace of the Lord be with you. Take a moment, exchange a word of peace and greeting with those around you. everybody. My name is Joel Bascom. I'm a pastor on staff here at Cross. I have a few announcements plus a couple of uh, uh, guest speakers uh, on the announcements today, which I'm, I'll be enthralled to hear from. Uh, a couple of things. One, in a week from today, uh, we're going to be having a brief all church meeting at 1145. Just want to call your attention to that. Uh, members, uh, if, that, if you're a member of Church of the Cross, Please, uh, please be there for that if you are able. We're going to be talking about uh, exciting things like budget. Uh, but also, seriously, though, we are going to also be uh, voting on a couple of uh, our new vestry members who are going to be uh, sharing testimony and other things. So if you are a member of Cross, please uh, keep that in mind. Um, as we move towards fall, um, as Andrew beautifully put it in the prayers, um, I would, you know, it takes about... I would say 35 to 40 folks, uh, volunteers, to do the different things that have to be done to do two services on Sunday. So uh, just looking forward towards fall, we're going to be thinking through how we can make that known to you all and any of you who would be available to do certain things, uh, Sunday morning services, uh, that would be awesome for you to consider that. I'm going to be in back. Uh, in the gathering space today uh, if you're interested in having if you have any questions about that and we're going to hear a little bit today from Matt about um, a couple of things on the with the audio and video right am am I wrong hi Kevin hello everyone so if uh, you sat back there and you think I love this service I would love to be more part of it but I don't play an instrument or even if you do it'd be like uncomfortable and you say none of this would be possible except for the brave men and women behind the curtain back there doing the job and making it all possible and sometimes I think of when Jesus fed the 5,000 there were actually two miracles that day and that was only 5,000 men presumably so the second biggest miracle that day was how on earth did near north of 10,000 people hear Jesus speaking unamplified have you ever thought about that huh it was it was a miracle so the spirit was involved fortunately we don't have to depend on the spirit for you all to hear the lovely words being spoken up here and so so what was Jesus mission on earth except to destroy the barriers between people and hearing God's word and being in his in his body so if you want to be part of that I'll, there's a table back there uh, if 
it's about a, we're looking for an average of about once a month um, uh, uh, volunteering, and it's a it's a blast. And so if you have had any AV experience at all, or just are familiar with technology, or even just love blinky lights, buttons, and level meters, we would love to have you. So. About that, huh? And now I also have our friend Lauren Mitchell. She's going to come up and talk to us a little bit about the upcoming women's retreat. Well, good morning. Um, as Joel said, my name is Lauren, and my son Lars and I have been attending Church of the Cross uh, since about February of 2021. Now, if you can remember where you were in February of 2021, uh, you may recall that you were covered with a mask and you were sitting about six feet apart from other people, and if you were coming to church, you were also registering uh, to have a space here in the, in the congregation. Needless to say, it was a tough time to join a new church and try to get to know other people. So it wasn't really for me until I attended the fall women's retreat that fall uh, that I really started to feel like I was making connections and getting to know other people uh, here at Cross. Um, so for those of you who are female, who are considering whether or not coming to the women's retreat is something that you would like to do, please let this be your encouragement to really strongly consider it. Um, the retreat is uh, September 15th through 17th, which is, it's hard to believe it's already next month, uh, but we're okay with that, we're embracing it. Um, the retreat is a really nice time to connect with other women, um, connect with God, um, connect with nature. Um, there's a lot of fun things planned, but there's also a lot of space and free time um, for quiet, 